I've entitled this morning's message, Beautiful Fight. And hopefully I'll be able to get through this without crying, but I can't promise. <laughs> I took this title from a scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, which says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. The word good there can be literally translated beautiful. So it says, I have fought the beautiful fight. That gives it a dimension good doesn't express. That there is beauty in our fight. So this morning we're going to look at all three of these statements made by the Apostle Paul. What exactly did he mean when he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And what can we learn from them? What I hope you see this morning is that each statement supports the others. And each is dependent one on the other for the success of each. These statements by the Apostle Paul are declarations of success. And ones that I believe each one of us would like to be able to say at the end of our life as well. So what did he mean when he says, I have kept the faith? This message came partly out of uh, the last message I ministered, which was beautiful warriors. Also in 2 Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. I prefer a beautiful warrior myself. <laughs> beautiful warriors are those who have discovered that we fight the good fight based on grace. It's not based on our works or our self-effort. And so what the Lord began to show me regarding this particular statement, I have kept the faith. My first thoughts were, what do you mean kept the faith? Because it doesn't say, I have kept my faith. It says, I have kept the faith. And scholars can go one of two ways. Because we can't say for certain <laughs> uh, what he meant, scholars have agreed it's one or both of these. One is that he has kept the faith of Jesus Christ. The other is that he has kept the faith of Christianity. In other words, Paul, as an apostle, was preaching the gospel of grace. And the gospel of grace became known as the faith because it's a system that works entirely by faith and not by performance. Acts 6, verse 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And that vernacular is used throughout the scripture referring to the Christian belief system as the faith. As I continued to read and meditate about this phrase, I have kept the faith, I began to hear and see the weight of the assignment that the Lord had placed on the Apostle Paul's shoulders. Last time I ministered, we talked about how he had been beaten five times with 39 lashes. I can't even fathom being beaten once, much less five times. And when we went through the list of all the things that happened to him, beaten five times, with lashes and three times with rods and being stoned to death once. That's usually enough. <laughs> I had never really taken into account the price that the Apostle Paul paid so that we here today could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The word kept means to protect or guard from loss or injury. The Apostle Paul's Anxiety that he said he had for the churches was that they would have the pure gospel. 
That was what was heavy on his heart, and that is what he paid dearly for, is the purity of the gospel, that it remained the gospel of grace. When the Lord was ministering this to me, I began to ask the Lord to reveal to me why this was so important, that he kept the faith. And what I began to see is that I'm a picture person, so God talks to me in pictures. I saw the Lord Jesus Christ standing in front of the Apostle Paul, representing the gospel, the finished work of the cross. And Paul stretched out in front of him, being beaten. And the Lord said, he had such a revelation of the gospel of grace. He had such a revelation of the love of God. He had such a revelation that it was the power of God unto salvation that he would not let anything or anybody take anything away from the Lord Jesus Christ. He wouldn't let anybody add anything to the cross. He had such a revelation that this was the only way mankind would ever be free and had such an adoration for the sacrifice that he refused to let anything take away from what Jesus had done. The Apostle Paul so loved the Lord and he so loved the gospel that he was willing to pay all of those prices. He was willing. I wouldn't even be willing. <laughs> I would want to be willing. <laughs> but he was willing. He had such a desire to see mankind set free. He had such the heart of our Father that no man would be bound by Satan ever again. And he wasn't going to let that truth, the truth of the gospel of grace, be muddied up and turned into a religion. Because the gospel of grace is about Jesus Christ. It's not about keeping rules. The Apostle Paul fought very hard to keep the gospel of grace uncontaminated. And the truth is, that's something that we need to do too. This is part of our beautiful fight. When you look at the Apostle Paul and all the things he went through, I have to say, he is an amazing warrior for Jesus Christ. He fought a beautiful fight because it was based on his love for Jesus Christ. It was based on his love for the truth of who God was. He alone, practically, two-thirds of the New Testament, had that responsibility on his shoulders to make sure that this gospel of grace was communicated in such a way that would keep the power it has in it. Because when you start adding things to Jesus, you take away the power. Because it all becomes about what you can do. You need to be strong in grace in order to finish our race. But it is impossible to finish our course by our own strength. We need God's grace. God's grace is his unmerited favor. It's his absolutely free loving kindness. And it's also his divine enablement. Years ago, I went to a low holiness church, and I came to Christ as a young adult. I was in my early 20s. And the little church that I went to would, would pray for people. Oh, Lord, if it be thy will, please heal sister so-and-so. But if not, give her grace. I heard this over and over and over again. I'm thinking, this grace stuff is, is like, not good. It's what you get when you don't get what you ask for. <laughs> I was like, um. And I began to ask the Lord, what is this grace? 
I mean, I understood Jesus. I understood Jesus died for me. But people were always praying for people to receive grace instead of what they wanted. So I went looking. I went searching. And I found in a lexicon, a phrase I use all the time, the absolutely free loving kindness of God. Absolutely free loving kindness of God. It isn't the booby prize. <laughs> it's not a second choice. It is the only choice. And through God's grace, we saw that the Apostle Paul could endure anything. He could endure anything, and he did. Because God's grace sustained him and strengthened him and empowered him to do what he could not do on his own. It's one of the things I love about grace. It enables me to do what I can't. What is it that you can't do? Normally we have a list. I can't do this and I can't do that. No, no, no. In grace, you can. By his grace, you can. I love 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And this is where the Lord was talking to the Apostle Paul about getting rid of his thorn in the flesh. And he says, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength. The word strength there is dunamis, my miracle working power. My miracle working power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I love the ISV version of my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need. That's an amazing statement. For God to tell us, look, out of all your list of what you think you need, <laughs> what you really need is grace. Because everything you need is inside of God's grace. So that he can give it to us freely, without us having to earn it. Grace is free, but it's not automatic. Some believers believe that we are saved by grace alone. If that were true, everybody would be saved. Because Jesus Christ has paid the price for every man, woman, and child that will ever live. Their sins have already been taken care of. Does that mean they are saved? No, it does not. Because it says it is by faith that we apprehend what grace has supplied. That's why faith is so very important. It is the way we partake. It is us seizing what God has already given. And he's already given us everything we need for life and godliness. Faith and grace go together, hand in glove. Faith is what happens when we see grace, when we hear grace. Because grace is absolutely free. Grace being God's unmerited favor and his divine power. It's absolutely free. So what do you have to do to get it? Believe. We really make it hard sometimes. <laughs> I gotta read my Bible and I have to go to church and I have to go witnessing and I have to and if I do all these things then maybe God will answer my prayer. Not so. Faith is what happens on the inside of us when we see God's grace. How good it is, how free it is, and that it is available for us. 1 John 5, 4 says this, For everything that has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I love this scripture. 
It says it funny. It says the victory overcomes the world. In other words, you start with victory. You don't start with the world. We have the victory in Christ Jesus, in us. That's where we start. Pastor Steve said earlier, you know, you've already got it. Everything Christ paid for, it's all available. But we have to realize we start from victory, not working for victory. We are pushing back the enemy. We are not working towards our goal or our victory. It's already ours. And that's a big difference. Because if you think your victory is in your future, it will always be in your future. It will never be in your hand. We have to start with the truth that in Christ, it's already finished. When I think about faith and grace working together, I always think of Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read a good portion of it, because I like it. I like how the Apostle Paul paints contrasts for us. Verse 1 says of chapter 2, You he hath quickened, he's talking to the believers at Ephesus who were Gentiles. And he says to them, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience. That would be unbelievers. That is not talking about naughty Christians. Okay? (laughs) That he's talking about, those are unbelievers. (laughs) among whom also we all had our conversation or manner of life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God. Love those two little words. But God. Now he's just told them how pitiful and hopeless and helpless they were. They were dead. You can't get much more helpless than dead. (laughs) But he says, but God, what in your life looks like it's dead? And when we know, spiritually speaking, we used to be, we were dead in our trespasses and sins until we were born again. But sometimes he's talking about a situation. He ministers that through his word. What situation do you think, oh, this is dead? I can't fix this. I can't change this. I can't, I can't, I I can't. Ah, grace. But God. Nothing is impossible when God butts in. Amen? But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. You see, God's love isn't like people love, human love. God's love is called agape love. And it's because it comes from who he is. The word tells us God is love. And out of his being comes who he is, which is love. It has nothing to do with the object that he loves. In other words, he doesn't go, Oh, you're so cute. I love you. Oh, you're so talented. I love you. Oh, you're so smart. I love you. No. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and I still love you. I still love you. You were helpless and hopeless. I still love you. It's not based on you being or doing something to make him love you. He loves you because he is love. He can't help himself. He has to love. 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. I love this. In my Bible, anyway, it's in parentheses, the next verse. He says, by grace are you saved. It's like he can't wait to say it. Because he's going to say it in another couple of verses here. But he's like, i got to tell you. i got to tell you. This agape love, this absolutely free loving kindness of God, it's grace. It's a gift. i got to let it out. You don't earn it. Now, this was a big deal to everyone he spoke this to. Because to the Jew, you did earn it. And to the Gentile, you did earn it. You had to bring sacrifices. You had to perform ceremonies in order to get whatever so-called God you were worshiping to like you. But our Father loves us. But he also likes us. He likes to hang out with us. And then he goes and he tells us our position, where we really are in this world. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Most of the time, we don't think in these terms. At the last church we were at, I was doing prayer ministry, altar ministry, and a lady came forward. Actually, the Lord had me go hunt her down, actually. <laughs> I'm supposed to pray for you. I don't know why, but I'm supposed to pray for you. And she, she hugged me. She says, they told me on Friday I have cancer. And I said, easy for Jesus. Easy for Jesus. I began to pray for her, and the Lord kept saying, you're not a beggar. Quit begging. You're not a beggar. Quit begging. You sit at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. You're a co-heir. You're a co-ruler. You're not a beggar. We don't have to beg God to do stuff. He says, cooperate with me. Co-rule co-reign by grace. So we are not beggars, we are rulers. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The exceeding riches of his grace. The exceeding riches of his free favors. Normally I don't ask people I don't know for favors. <laughs> because they would really be a favor. I usually ask people who already like me or love me. <laughs> you know, I've already done something for them. <laughs> you watched my dog. I'll watch your dog. <laughs> That's not really a favor. Not the way God does it anyway. God's favors are free. They're grace. They're gifts. And he says he has an exceeding abundance of free favors for us. Exceeding abundance of grace. Now grace is also divine enablement. The power to do what I can't do. He has exceeding abundantly riches overflowing of power for us to access. All by his grace. This message. Grace by faith. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. This is the gospel. Short and to the point. <laughs> you are saved by his absolutely free favor, but you apprehend it by faith. 
This is the message the Apostle Paul fought so diligently to protect. And it's also the message we need to protect as well. Don't let Satan talk you out of what belongs to you. Don't let him bring that condemnation on you, telling you you're not worthy, you're disqualified. That's what we have to protect too. Thankfully, we don't have to be beaten to do that. But we do have to recognize that that is Satan's objective, is to get you off of the truth that you are saved by grace through faith alone. And it's not of yourself. It is a free gift. We need to proclaim this to ourselves over and over and over again because you know why? We forget. We forget that he's not holding our sins against us. You know how I know? I sinned. I know it's hard to believe. (laughs) It doesn't happen often, I assure you. (laughs) Not my practice. But what happens to me when I sin is I immediately come under condemnation. I immediately feel disqualified. I immediately feel like God's not happy with me. Why? Because that's the way it is in the world. Now, does God like every choice I make? Obviously not. Because God doesn't like sin. But he doesn't like sin because sin hurts us. That's the only reason he doesn't like sin. is because It's destructive. It destroys. So I know the fight to keep the truth of the gospel in my own heart. That even when I fail, it doesn't change my Father's love for me. It doesn't change my position. I'm still at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. Nothing changes for him. And really nothing changes for me. It's all in your mind. (laughs) So that's why we have to be diligent to keep the understanding of the gospel of grace ever before us. Because it is so easy for us to forget. I have to tell myself again, okay. (laughs) I forget what it was, but there was something I wanted God to do. And I tried bargaining with him. Now, I clearly know better. (laughs) Clearly, I know better. But old habits, the old mindset, the old grace is what you get when you don't get what you want, those old things have a way of creeping back in. And I tried to bargain with God. And in the midst of my bargaining, I'm going, this is totally wrong. I'm really sorry, Lord. Thank you for bringing this to my attention because that's really stupid. What we don't understand sometimes is when we're doing that, what we're actually saying is what Jesus did was not enough. I have to somehow buy his free favor. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll go here. I'll go there. And then you'll be happy with me. He's already happy with me. I don't have to make him happy with me. He can't get any happier. (laughs) But so often, because of those old mindsets, that Jesus plus good behavior equals salvation. They creep back in. And and sometimes in subtle, sneaky ways. Jesus plus good behavior does not equal salvation. Jesus equals salvation. Good behavior equals is a byproduct of my relationship. Good behavior is a fruit of relationship. It's not what I do to get. It's what happens when I receive his grace. Then I could operate in faith. 
I often hear Christians say, well, yeah, you accepted Jesus, but now you have to obey if you're going to make it to heaven. So what they're saying is it's Jesus plus obedience equals salvation. It's not true. Because obedience doesn't buy anything. It's the fruit. It's not the root. It comes out of us as we walk and talk with him. This obedience is not the obedience you would give to a taskmaster. It is the surrender to his love, mercy, and grace. That's all obedience is. is saying, okay, God, you're smarter than me. You're wiser than me. I should submit to your love and your wisdom and your knowledge. Yes, and when I do, we call it obedience. But so much of the body of Christ wants to place the value of our relationship on our fruit rather than on our Savior. We want the focus to always remain on our Savior. Grace comes from the Savior, not from obedience. Having this understanding solidified in our hearts is what keeps us steady and secure when times are hard. If I got a big bill and I wasn't expecting in the mail, something catastrophically large, <laughs> and I open it up, what would my response be? Would it be, Lord, I need a favor? Or would it be, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? <laughs> I would like to say it's always the first one. But sometimes it's the second. I do the first first, and then, okay, okay, Lord, how are we co-rulers? How are we co-rulers going to take care of this? <laughs> but if I know my Father's love, you see, that he has exceedingly abundant riches of grace, free favor, then am I going to be worried? If I know that he's just wild, crazy, in love with me, and can't wait to do a favor for me, am I going to be worried? No, because I'll trust his love. I'll trust his grace. That's why we have to stay established in the truth of the gospel of grace. Otherwise, we go back to, he's mad at me, he's punishing me. What did I do to deserve this? Probably plenty. <laughs> but that's not from his hand. <laughs> not from his hand. If this is not settled in our hearts, then our heart will be unsettled in the midst of trials. And that's how you can tell if you're established in grace. And it's not a one-time deal. It is continuing to bathe yourself in the knowledge of his love and his, his grace. I won't be able to trust in my Father's love, and I'll doubt that he's for me and not against me if I don't keep myself established. I used to think things like this. I know God loves me, but he's not happy with me. I know God loves me, but I'm pretty sure he's ticked off. I know God loves me. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know, obviously, because I thought his love and acceptance of me was based on how well I performed. That's not the gospel of grace. That's the gospel of works, and I don't advise it. <laughs> Lies like that undermine our ability to trust our Father's goodness. And this trust is the foundation of faith. That brings us to his second statement. I have fought the good fight. 
Why is it a good fight? <laughs> oh, you read the book. <laughs> it's primarily a good fight because we've already won. We're starting from victory. We're not going for victory. It changes the way you fight. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. He just wants us to enforce his victory. And how do we do that? By faith. First Timothy 6.12, Paul encourages Timothy in his first letter, fight the good fight of faith. That's how we know it's the good fight is about faith. But what I really like about that is that the second part of that verse says, and lay hold on eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life. That's what faith does. We have the eternal life in us, in Christ. And in him is everything we need. So he says, lay hold on that eternal life, that perpetual Zoe God life. The word lay hold means to seize. I like this. It says, when I looked it up, it says seize means to seize for help, to seize for injury, to seize for attainment, or for any other purpose. So he says, you need help? Seize that eternal, perpetual life of Jesus Christ that's in you. Seize it. Take hold of it by faith. Take hold of that victory and fight from it, not for it. I really like the fact that it says, and also to do injury. To seize the eternal power within us to do injury. Now, who would we like to injure? <laughs> Let me, there's only one. There's only, only one. <laughs> His name is Satan. That's the only one we're interested in injuring. First Peter 5 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. This is your fight. This is our fight, to injure the kingdom of darkness, to do injury to Satan. Now, of course, he tells us that if we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, he will flee. Defeat is not an option for us. That's what we got to get a hold of. Defeat is not an option for us. Why? Because we start from victory. If we start from victory, how can we lose? We can't. We have to start from the win. Victory is not an option for the devil. That's the other thing. Victory is not an option for the devil. Don't give him that option. If we outlast him, we win. Sometimes we just have to wear him out. We have to stand fast in the faith. That means whatever promise God gave you, whatever you're believing, whatever victory you're holding, waiting for manifestation, that you don't move off of what belongs to you, regardless of what you see. That's our fight of faith. No, I am the winner. No, I am a co-ruler. No, I am a co-heir. No, I don't lose. It's not an option. This brings us to the last of his statements. I have finished my course. It's an athletic Analogy. Apostle Paul loves these. He likes to talk about running and fighting and boxing <laughs> and all that boy stuff, you know. <laughs> and he says to fight the good fight, the word there is combat. Combat, a good combatant. Combat. It's war. It's fight. Now, the picture that he's actually painting is, in those days they had Olympic games and various other kind of games like that. And one of the events was boxing. 
But they didn't box the way they do nowadays. They would uh, wrap their hands with like metal and <laughs> so that when you hit, you do as much damage as possible. This is the picture he's painting for us. This is what we do to Satan. We really impact him by resisting. The thing about those boxing matches is they lasted as much as four hours. Four hours. <laughs> Two men trying to beat the living stuffings out of each other for four hours. And usually whoever won was the one who didn't die. We have to outlast him. You see, sometimes he likes to resist us. And if he's not convinced that you're sure of your power and your authority and your position in Christ, he will come against you hard, 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 hard. And unless you're going to impact him steadfastly in the faith, standing on the word of God, not letting him have his way in your life, he will not go away. But it says if you do resist steadfastly, he will flee. He's a chicken. He doesn't like when you beat him up. The last analogy is, I have finished my course. The Apostle Paul loved analogies about running. He uses uh, another analogy, the same kind of analogy, over in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26. I'm going to read it in three different versions, simply because I like it. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. In other words, he hits his target every time. Phillips, translation. I run the race then with determination. I am no shadow boxer. He is determined that he wins. And this is my favorite one, the New Living Translation. So I run with purpose in every step. I really like that one. I run with purpose in every step. The Apostle Paul knew his purpose was to protect the gospel, to keep the faith, to outlast the enemy. And he knew how to do that, that it was by grace through faith. When he says, I have finished my course, he's basically saying, I'm done now. It's been a long fight, but I won. I started from the win, and I finished with the win. I started with the faith, and I finished with the faith. I started out more than a conqueror, and I end up more than a conqueror. My desire today is that I encourage you, one, to keep the faith, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that is Jesus and Jesus alone that saves us, is by grace through faith. That we would stay steadfast in our fight of faith. That we not give the enemy any leeway. That we resist him steadfast in the faith. That we put metal <laughs> to our mitt and we be the living stephens out of him with the word of God. And that I would encourage you to run your race. Everybody's race is different. But what the Apostle Paul could say was, I didn't quit. I didn't give up. I fought the good fight. I finished. Don't let Satan pull you out of the race. And I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your promises. What has God promised you? What are you believing for? Don't let Satan talk you out of it. Resist him steadfastly in the faith. So at the end of our lives, we too will be able to say the exact same thing. I fought the good fight. I finished my course. Don't leave anything undone. 
We don't have to leave anything undone. We start from the win. We start from victory. And victory overtakes the world. Amen? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father God, for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is the one and only truth. Help us, Father, to be like the Apostle Paul, bold and fearless in declaring the truth to everybody we know because everybody deserves to know what you did for them. Everybody should hear. Everybody should have the opportunity. And Father God, whatever our courses are, whatever promises we're holding, and waiting on. Father God, I ask that you make it apparent to our hearts that the answer is always yes. You are full of free favors because of your great love wherewith you have loved us. Father God, I ask that you would bestow the abundance of your free favors on your people. That throughout the next week, every time they turn around, they'd go, there's a free favor, there's a free favor, there's a free favor, my Father loves me, and Father God, I ask that you help them to be steadfast, believing the truth, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. You have already bought and paid for everything we need, and by faith, we do apprehend. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.